He leadeth me, he leadeth me. Amen. It's a great thought, isn't it? And our Lord Jesus Christ has led you to the house of worship this morning. I hope and I pray that by the grace of the Spirit of God, your hearts will be warmed and encouraged. Uh, I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to uh, Revelation, the 8th chapter. Once again, Revelation chapter 8. Uh, for those of you who have been here with us, you know we've been working through this passage of Scripture, the book of Revelation. It started out as a study on the seven letters to the seven churches, uh, but here we are uh, trying to work our way through uh, the entire book. And what our purpose is in this study, in this exposition, is to set before you the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, there may be times when we have to get into some technical issues by way of chronology, by way of theology, by way of eschatology, a little more technical word, that study of last things. But what I want you to see primarily is Christ exalted. I want you to see primarily not only that is Christ exalted, but Christ is exalted in bringing about the will of his Father and overcoming evil and bringing, et bringing eternal good to his people. That's the great message of the book of Revelation. Revelation presents us with the great power of God to effect salvation. Revelation teaches us that those, those enemies of our soul that we battle against, the world, the flesh, and yes, the devil, none of these enemies are great enough to take us away from the love of God that he has for us in Jesus Christ. I want you to hear that. I want you to be aware of that. And while the book of Revelation does set before us certain timetables and how we understand this in relation to that by way of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the establishment of his kingdom, we must preach Christ. I must set before you this Jesus Christ who loves your soul, loved you sufficiently enough to go on the cross and bear your sins before his Father in order that you and I might not be condemned. I ask you the question this morning, is that Christ who I've just set before you, is he your Savior? Are you resting in him? Are you trusting him? Trusting in him? This one who takes away the sin of the world, this beautiful and wonderful Lamb of God. Oh, I hope and I pray that he is. And if he is, then I know that if I set him before you in this passage of Scripture, your soul would be warmed. There is no greater blessing to the people of God than to have their Savior displayed before them. So with all that in mind, take your Bibles again and turn to Revelation, the 8th chapter. Revelation chapter 8. And we will read the chapter in its entirety. Revelation, the 8th chapter. Please hear God's word. Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. And when he had opened the seventh seal... There was silence in heaven about the space of a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the, altar, upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came up with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood. And they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of the trees was burnt up, and all the green grass was burnt up. And the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, 
and the third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life were and had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were as, a, as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of the waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood, and the third part of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and a third part of the moon, and a third part of the stars. And so the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet to sound. Well, this passage of Scripture, once again, as we said of the passage of Scripture that we considered last week, some passages are just worth reading and allowing them to settle in. And this eighth chapter is much like that. We have set before us the judgments of God against humanity. We have set before us the wonder, the glory, the splendor of what occurs in heaven by way of the prayers of the people of God. We have in the response to those prayers, the activity of the angel casting down to the earth these judgments. And these things certainly are awe-inspiring. And then to hear at the close of that chapter, the voice of the angel essentially reminding us if these first four trumpets are so terrible to humanity, what will the last three be like when he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, we'll get to that next week. This week, we're going to take a look at this, uh, at this eighth chapter. And as we've done all the way through the, uh, our exposition, beginning in the fourth chapter, we're going to take a look at this chapter just in one sermon. Uh, oftentimes, it's difficult to do that here in the book of Revelation, but we're going to try to do that. And in doing that, what we're going to try to do is to bring your focus on that which is, which, which is primary and that which comes to the forefront in the passage before us. Now, in a very real way, what comes before us are these great woes, these great trumpet judgments upon the earth. And we will take a look at that. But what I want you to do this morning is I want you to consider this passage of Scripture from the perspective of prayer that is being offered in heaven and prayers that are ascending before God and prayers that are heard. And I want you to see by way of this, I want to, I want to encourage you that your praying is never without effect. We often think that our praying is, isn't it? We often wonder, are our prayers being heard? We, we, we plead with God. We pour out our souls. How many of you here have prayed, have, prayed for, have prayed for your loved ones for the entire time that they've been alive? And you wonder, will these prayers ever be answered? I'm saying to you, God hears these prayers. And while I can't give you insight into the, into the ultimate purpose and will of God, I can say this. This passage of Scripture shows to us in no uncertain terms that God hears prayer and in response to the prayers. As a matter of fact, if we read this passage of Scripture correctly, what we find is that the things that are happening on the earth by way of the trumpet judgments are the result of the prayers ascending to uh, the, uh, the prayers of God. Uh, I'm sorry, the prayers of the people of God ascending to God. So there are things that are happening on the earth that are results of prayers ascending. This is how great and significant prayer is. And I want you to have that sense. 
I want you to know that prayer, again, is one of the greatest resources that you have in your life. The ability to call upon Almighty God. The ability to call on this one who comes to you in mercy, who comes to you in kindness, who comes to you in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. I want you to know your ability to be able to call upon him. Oh, again, is a great blessing to your soul. Don't lose sight of that. Don't think, li don't think little of that. And so, again, this great chapter, of, uh, uh, this great passage of scripture setting before us, again, uh, uh, everything by way of prayer. Now, do you remember how we covered the seventh chapter last week? We took a look at the seventh chapter and we said that in that seventh chapter, and this will help you to, this will help you to understand my, my, my theological understanding of the, of the book of Revelation. You might remember in that seventh chapter, I made mention of the fact that I do believe that from the sixth chapter on, uh, we are seeing everything that's happening in the tribulation. We're not seeing so much an overall view of history. There are some very good and accomplished scholars who see it from that perspective. I don't see the passage of scripture that way. I see uh, everything from chapters 6 and following is, is taking place within a relatively narrow compass of time. But in that seventh chapter, one of the things that I tried to set before you is that in the context of very, very difficult times, when judgments are being poured out upon the earth, you remember this that we said that God will still have a people both prepared by him and serving him. God will always have a people that will serve him. And you remember how I pressed this upon you last week. It's this. Will we be that people in our day? I don't believe that we're in the time that uh, that's being spoken of there in Revelation chapter 7. But if God has that prepared multitude, that 144,000, it reminds us that God will always have a people prepared for his service. In our day, will we be that people? Do you remember how the passage of scripture went on? We also went to see that in that seventh chapter, there was an innumerable multitude around the throne worshiping God. Do you know that even in the worst of times, God will have a people who worship his name? And you know how I pressed that upon you last week. Will you and I be that people in our day? Will we be that people that in spite of whatever else is going on in the world, we will worship our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We will, we will send up prayers to him. We will send praises to him. Why? Because he's worthy and because he will always have a people. Will you? Will I? Will we? be that people well again that's how we handled that passage of scripture much by way of the significance of the theology of the chapter we didn't so much develop that but again that, that important group of 144,000 they will appear again in Revelation chapter 14 that beautiful sight of an innumerable multitude from every kindred tongue and every race around the throne oh heaven is a beautiful place you see heaven is a place of worship heaven is a place where songs are sung hymns are being sung God Almighty and the Lamb are being worshipped and glorified and if I can say it this way there is a beautiful sound that continually is found in heaven and then we come to this eighth chapter. And the first thing that we see is the lamb opening the seventh scroll. And upon the opening of that seventh scroll, what happens? There is silence in heaven. This is significant. This silence that is recorded in this passage of scripture. I want you to see a couple of things here, even before we get into to anything by way of this silence, what it might mean. First of all, I want you to see and understand how it is the Lord Jesus Christ himself who opens this seventh seal. Now, just to give you, again, something of a sense of how I understand the seals and the trumpets and the, and the bold judgments, as I've tried to say before, many good men and commentators see these three series of judgments 
as re re recapitulating or, or I'm sorry, re uh, re uh, recapping uh, the judgments that have already come so that the seal judgments uh, come to a head, then the trumpet judgments come to a head, but they're looking at the same uh, condition of humanity, but from a little bit of, of a different perspective. The bold judgments, the same thing, the same ground is being covered, we might say, but just from a little bit different perspective. As, as, as good as that view is, I, I don't, that's not the view that I take here in, uh, in understanding this passage of Scripture. And I hope you don't mind me setting before you positions that I don't agree with, but I just want you to be aware that, that there are, again, genuine brothers and sisters in Christ who might see these, th these things a little different. I see these, uh, these seals and these trumpets and these bold judgments rather as consecutive or what some have called telescoping. So that when we come to this sixth seal, if you notice, the sixth seal contains nothing other than the seven trumpet judgments that come. And so I see it as not so much uh, going over the same ground, but rather as telescoping out, giving us further details of even greater judgments that are yet to come. These series of judgments that come upon humanity. But what I want you to see primarily is this. That go back there to chapter 8, verse 1. And when he, I think the newer translations say, and when the Lamb had opened the seventh seal. I want you to see and understand as I've tried to make this case all the way through our series here in, in the book of Revelation. It is Jesus Christ who controls these things. It is Jesus Christ. Do you remember how he said it? As the great executor of the very will of God. The things that happen on this earth are happening through the hand of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing that happens on this earth, again, that doesn't in some way, shape, or form come to us by way of God's almighty power and Christ's overseeing of these things. Amen. I want you to see and understand that that's not only true by way, of the, by way of this world in general, it's true of your life and my life as well. Look back there in, uh, in, in, in Revelation there, uh, uh, chapter 7, verse 17. Look back there and notice what we see. And you'll remember this because of what we brought out last week. Look here in, in verses uh, uh, 16 and 17. Um, they, shall, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light upon them, nor any heat. And look at verse 17. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of water. Do you remember what we talked about last week? How that Jesus Christ shepherds his people? Yes, God will always have a people who serve him. God will always have a people who are worshiping him. God will always have a people whose sins are washed in the blood. And, and the people of God will always have a shepherd who leads them and guides them. Aren't you glad that in this world Jesus Christ leads you and guides you? You're not left to yourself. He leadeth me. Oh, bless the thought. It is a blessed thought that Jesus Christ leads you and leads me in this world. And so again, this idea of Jesus Christ as the executor of the will of God. There is nothing happening in the created order that our Lord Jesus Christ is not overseeing and even bringing the past. As I said before, he is the great executor of the will of God. Our Lord Jesus Christ is known by this. He was known uh, uh, by way of his own self-identity and his ministry. You remember what he said in John chapter 6, verse 38, I came down from heaven, the self-awareness of Christ. I came down from heaven. You ask the Lord Jesus Christ, who was he? He was the one that was sent by the Father. Again, he, did, he didn't just wake up one day and say, well, I think I'll just make all these claims to be the Messiah. No, he knew he was sent by way of his own self-awareness. And I would say this to you by way of his own divine testimony. When Christ says this about himself, you and I must recognize, again, the preexistence, the eternal nature of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
John 6, 38, for I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. That's the great designating. In one sense, that's, the great, that's, the, that's, a, that's, a, that's a phrase that captures the entire life and ministry of Jesus Christ. If you were to say to the Lord Jesus, Jesus, my, my dear Lord Jesus, uh, why are you here? He would say unhesitatingly, I'm here to do the will of my father. You remember there and again in the book of Hebrews, when the writer of Hebrews is, is kind of giving us a theological perspective on the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does he say there in Hebrews 10? Then he's, he's quoting again the, the Psalms. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. Jesus Christ saw himself in the scripture. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Jesus Christ is the great executor of the will of God. This world is in good hands. It doesn't seem like it sometimes, does it? It seems like, what is going on in this crazy world of ours? But our Lord Jesus Christ, again, he is the executor of the will of God. And so again, when he says, when we read here that, uh, uh, that he opens the seals, I want you to see and understand that, that this is telling us, this is informing us that, that the future of everything that we're to see here is in the hand of Jesus Christ. The future is in the hand of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes we look back and we say, oh, God led me here and Christ, and my, and my dear Savior brought me through that. And where would, I, would have, where would I would have been in that situation had not the Lord Jesus Christ or, or by, way of the, uh, by way of the sense of his spirit with me? Where would I would have been? But I want you to see and understand that this, this passage of scripture is looking into the future. And Jesus Christ controls the future as well. You see, again, as you look to the future, I want you to think back there on, on chapter 7, verse 16. That all those who are in Jesus Christ shall be shepherded by Christ through this life and into the world to come. Jesus Christ as the great shepherd of his, of, of his sheep. Well, not only do we see the Lord Jesus Christ here in this passage of scripture as the one, again, who is ex executing the will of the Father. We also see uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, again, uh, opening this seventh seal. And the seventh seal kind of has, has an interesting uh, introduction to it. Uh, the seventh seal doesn't uh, continue with the, the, uh, the sounds of heaven's praises. Uh, the seventh seal doesn't open to, to crashes and thunders. Rather, the seventh seal opens to, to silence. Silence. And this silence is very interesting. You know, I was thinking about uh, uh, reading this passage of scripture and maybe just pausing at least for at least for a few moments after the reading of, uh, of, of, of verse uh, of verse one, just to give a sense of what it is to have silence in a place where worship is to be found and where worship is expected. This silence, again, is not without its significance. And what's interesting is that, that when we look at silence in the scripture, we see that sometimes there are, there are probably at least two ways in which we can understand uh, the, 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 this idea of, of silence. And the, and, the, and the first sense when we understand the idea of silence is that silence oftentimes is, 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 is given in preparation of worship. There is, a, there is a quiet, there is a silence before the time of worship. But what we see repeated in the scripture is that silence oftentimes accompanies the proceeding of judgment. Listen to these passages of, scripture, uh, passages of scriptures uh, that have before us the, the context of judgment. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. The idea here in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20, is not uh, something by way of a public praise. It's, it's God is ready to enter into judgment. Let all the earth keep silent. 
Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 7, Be silent before the Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. It's time of coming judgment. And Zechariah chapter 2, verse 13, Be silent all flesh before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. So this silence you see oftentimes, oftentimes uh, foreshadows a time of judgment. And I do believe that when we look at this passage of scripture here, that's what we're seeing. There is this silence in heaven because of the judgments that are about to befall the earth. This silence in heaven. And so what we have here then is a preparation for a time of judgment upon sinful humanity. Well, you've, as I've said before, I, I'm convinced that in this passage of Scripture, what we're dealing with is, again, that time of, of tribulation. We're not looking at a broad overview of human history, a, a gradual unfolding of spiritual principles uh, uh, throughout, uh, again, the, the, the history of the church. I think rather what we are seeing here is a time yet future. And in that time yet future, there is a time of great woe coming upon the earth. So severe is this woe that heaven is silent before these things befall uh, the, uh, the, the earth. And so we have that in verse uh, 1. Here in verse 2 we have this. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. It's kind of interesting that when we deal with the book of uh, Revelation, we have to deal with, uh, with uh, legitimate symbolism. Uh, we have to deal sometimes with, in, with individuals trying to introduce things into the text that sometimes we would find questionable to introduce into the text. It's kind of interesting at this passage of scripture, there are, uh, there are commentators who would point us to some, uh, some apocryphal Jewish uh, writings. And in and, uh, uh, and, and one, and, and one of the writings, uh, uh, there is a reference to seven angels. And so sometimes these seven names are imported here. Well, I think if those seven angels were intended, I think John could have brought that out. But we don't see that. We do know, however, that seven angels are specifically prepared with trumpets. The next thing that we see here, and not only that these seven angels are prepared, but I want you to see this. I, again, verse 2, I saw seven angels which stood before God, and to them, notice, were given seven trumpets. As I said before, we see the control of our Lord Jesus Christ in this whole thing. <clears throat> At no point is our Lord Jesus Christ not overseeing and controlling everything that is going on. And these trumpets are given to these angels. Now, these trumpets are given to the angels, again, by way of the judgments that are to, are, are to come. But something else happens. Before these angels begin to blow the trumpets of judgment, something else happens. And look here in verse 3. <clears throat> and another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came, up, which came uh, with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it to the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. Well, let me say this. If, this, if the first two verses uh, set before us what we might say the setting of the prayers of the saints... What's the setting for the prayers of the saints? It's the silence of heaven. It's the it, it's the it's, it's the angels coming forward, getting ready to uh, getting get, getting ready to sound the trumpets. We might say this here in this in this next section, verses three through five. Here we have the cause or the reason why the prayers were being offered. The setting of prayer again was a time of of expectant judgment to befall the earth. The cause of the prayer is is, is laid out here. 
And what's interesting is that the cause of the prayer, we may not see it exactly on the surface, and forgive me for that, but I think as I work this through, you will see it. The cause of the prayer basically has two points of reference. The first point of reference is contextual to the book of Revelation. The second point of reference is contextual to the overall ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ and the exhortation to pray. Let me see if I can show these things to you here. Again, when we take a look here in this, uh, in this passage of Scripture, uh, one of the things that we see uh, by way of uh, verse, uh, uh, verse 3, and another angel came and stood. Again, we have the reference to prayers. Well, take your Bible and go back to Revelation chapter 6, verse 17, I believe it is. Re Revelation chapter 6. <clears throat> I'm sorry, it's Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. And, and, and notice what we, we, what we observe there. Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Again, these ones who were martyred for the cause of Christ. And do you see why they were martyred for the cause of Christ? We try to emphasize this when we looked at that passage of Scripture. They were martyred for the word of God and for the testimony that they held. Again, this, this idea of the, of the conflict that you, will, that you will experience in this world by, by staying faithful to God as he's made himself known in his word. Oh, stay faithful to the word of God. Notice what we have here again in verse 10. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell upon the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest let a, uh, yet a, for a little season, uh, and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Now again, this is a very, <clears throat> uh, maybe something of an unsettling passage of Scripture, but what I want you to see that if we look at that Revelation chapter 6, and we bring it together here with Revelation chapter 8, <clears throat> I want you to see and understand that the prayers that are ascending... The prayers that are ascending are very much connected to the prayers or to the cries that we see here in Revelation chapter 6. The saints of God are crying out to God, how long, O God? Now, this is very interesting, and let me say this. This is one of the reasons why I do think that what we have happening here is taking place within that, within that uh, uh, very uh, narrow period of time that we know is the tribulation. We know that right now we still live in a day of grace. In this passage of Scripture, prayers, are, uh, prayers ascend and judgments fall. We live in a day when prayers ascend, blessings can still come down. There may be times when judgments do befall individuals or nations, but it is not the judgment that is being laid out here in the book of Revelation. So in this day of grace, how do we pray? We pray not just that judgment would come down, and again, we're going to address that, how we pray against, uh, you know, when confronted by our enemies, but we also pray that God would send blessing down. I would even say this to you. I'm going to get ahead of myself a little bit because this is, this is the, uh, the application I want to make at the end of the sermon. But I would even say this to you. When John finishes writing the book of Revelation, do you notice what he says? He says, and the spirit and the spirit and the bride say, pour out all your wrath. The spirit and the bride say, come and let him who is a thirst come and let him come and take of the water of life, the fountain of life uh, freely. Why? Because in this period of time, we still implore and encourage sinners to come to Jesus Christ. We're not in that specific time that we see laid out here. So in this day, while we understand there is coming a time when prayers ascending shall send down the judgments of God, in this time and in this day, what do we do? We send prayer up that the blessings of salvation might come down. The Spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who is the thirst come and drink of the water of life freely. 
And so again, the first context that I want you to see by way of these prayers is there in Revelation chapter 6. But the other way, uh, the, other, uh, the other context that we have here uh, for these prayers, I would suggest to you, are really the fulfillment of what our Lord taught us to pray there in Matthew chapter 6. Didn't our Lord Jesus Christ teach us to pray, Thy will be done, Thy kingdom come? And I think what we're seeing again in this 8th chapter is the coming in of the kingdom of God and all of its power and all of its fullness. There is a breaking in by way of the judgments of God, the full and complete uh, purposes of God by way of his plan and by way of his decree. So what you're seeing here in Revelation chapter 8 is, again, is an answer and specific prayer there in Revelation chapter 6. But also it is an answer to prayer that, that, that the church of Jesus Christ has been praying throughout its entire existence. Haven't you prayed again, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Well, the kingdom of God is coming in through these judgments. His will is being performed in the earth. Did you hear that, that 46th Psalm that Rick read this morning? Again, these ideas were all caught up in there. The idea of God bringing judgment, the idea of all the earth being silent. And so again, in this passage of scripture, what we see are the prayers that ascend and the judgments that descend. Now, one of the things that we have to deal with is how do we understand the angel here? How do we understand the imagery? How do we understand the symbolism? It's kind of interesting that in this passage of scripture, as with so many passages of scripture in the book of Revelation, as soon as we try to understand it, we, we realize that we are confronted with a number of, of options that, as I said before, and I'm not just saying this to say this, that, that good and godly men set before us. All the, 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 the inquiries that have been made as to who this angel is. As I said before, when the, uh, when the reference was made to the seven angels there, uh, many go to Jewish apocryphal writings and they try to locate those seven angels as being those specific angels. I think John could have done that if, uh, if, uh, if, uh, if, if it was in the purpose of God. So we leave them, we leave them uh, indiscriminate in that regard. But this, this other angel, and did you notice how that takes place? You have the seven angels and then another angel comes forward. And who is this other angel? And all the questions that have arisen because of that. Some people think that because of the angel coming forward, uh, offering incense with the prayers of the saints, that this teaches us that angels intercede for us and angels pray for us. I think of all the options, that's probably the least convincing. Another option that's set before us uh, in this passage of Scripture, or by way of what co how commentators engage this passage of Scripture, and it's, it's, it's really interesting to see how many commentators come to this kind of view is that the angel that's being spoken of here is a reference to none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And what they see by way of the incense and by way of the censer, or you know, that, 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 that instrument or that, that utensil that holds the incense and that the coals are put in, uh, many see that as a reference to the person of Christ himself. And they see that because there is a, uh, there is a, there is a principle uh, brought to us in the ministry of Christ that kind of parallels this. And the principle is this. You've heard me say this before. All of our worship, all of our prayers ascend to God through the mediation of Christ our high priest. And there's much by way of the, uh, the, the function of the high priest in the Old Testament that parallels here. We have, we have, we, we have the, 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 the angel coming before the altar. We have the angel coming before the altar with incense. We have the angel taking the, uh, the coals and, and putting them in the sense. Much of this, again, parallels Old Testament, uh, uh, Old Testament instructions. And so many say to us that, that this, is nothing, this is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. 
Now, again, I hate to keep doing this to you. I think there's, I think there's a lot to be said for that. I think that's certainly a better way to understand this passage than to think it's a, it's an, it's, it's an angel who, who, who is, uh, who, who, who intercedes uh, uh, for the church. I don't think that. But even as, 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 as helpful and as even good as that approach to this angel is, I don't think this is the Lord Jesus Christ either. I, I think, even though there's much to be said for that, I think this is an angel, a very significant angel nonetheless. And I, I will suggest this to you, and I have to admit I'm surprised that I don't think any other in my study, I don't think I came across anybody that made this point. If this angel is a very significant angel, this angel may indeed be that very angel that our Lord Jesus Christ, or that was referred to in Revelation chapter one, verse one. Take your Bible, just keep your finger there in eight, and go back to go back to um, go back to Revelation chapter one. And and this this, this will this will uh, jog your memory. We we didn't we didn't make too much of a of a point here, but listen to this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. Listen. And he sent it and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. And so there was the revelation that Jesus Christ received from the Father. There was the revelation that Jesus Christ gave to to the angel. And there was the revelation that the angel gave to John. Very interesting. If you go to the end of the the, uh, the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 22, and let me just see if I can... uh, Oh, and I don't, I don't know if I'm going to find this, but in Revelation chapter 22, there is also a reference uh, to, uh, uh, to, to to this angel. And I'm not. Let me see here. Um, yes, in verse six, and he said unto me, "These sayings are faithful and true." And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. And again, many believe that this is a reference, the same reference to that angel that was referred to in Revelation chapter 1. Why am I bringing all this up? Well, because I want you to kind of appreciate the thought that goes into trying to understand what the book of Revelation is teaching here. So let me say this. Even though, even as good and as helpful as the concept of Jesus Christ mediating our prayers, I don't think that's what this passage is teaching here. I certainly don't believe that this passage is teaching that angels intercede for us. But I think what we have in this passage is essentially this. We have symbolism that sets before us the reality that our prayers ascend to heaven and are heard by God. And so when we get into all these things, what's this detail and what's that detail? Well, I wish I was better qualified to, to maybe guide you through this a little better. But I would suggest to you this. Then when we look at these varying uh, these details and the varying ways that they're understood, let's not forget the primary issue. The primary issue is that your prayers ascend to heaven. That's the key. Of course they ascend through the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that and we understand why individuals would think that this was a, a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ, although I don't think that, that the scripture that the passage is saying that. But I want you to see and understand that your prayers are heard. And I want you to see and understand that your prayers are heard in such a way that you have to understand that everything that happens after this point by way of the sounding of the by way of the sounding of the of the, of the trumpets are all in are all given in light of the very fact that once prayers ascend, the angel takes again calls from the altar, puts him into the and, 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 and sends him to the earth. And that sending down to the earth is the judgments that are to come. And so here is our Lord Jesus Christ overseeing. Here is God's purpose and plan, again, to vindicate his people 
His people under the altar cry out, how long? And he says, the time is coming. The people of God have prayed again, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And, our, and, and God is saying, the time is coming. And so what I want you to see and I want you to understand is that your prayers are heard, you see. You don't spend meaningless time in prayer. Your prayer is not an empty exercise. Your prayers don't just, again, to, to use a, a maybe what unbelievers might say to us, your prayers are not just these thoughts that you have in your head. To use another illustration, again, that sometimes the people of God use, your prayers just don't go to the ceiling and bounce back down. Your prayers ascend to heaven. And yes, it's through the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the point I want you to see here, and the significant thing to see here, is that your prayers have impact on what happens on the earth. And we want our prayers to have that kind of power, do we not? We're not looking for power for the sake of power by itself. We're looking that God would again accomplish his will through the prayers of his people. And that's what this passage of scripture is teaching us. Your prayers, again, have impact and meaning. Will we be a prayerless people in light of a passage like this? Will we think that none of our prayers will ascend before God? Oh, I'm saying to you, my brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and through his mediation, again, your prayers have great significance as to what happens in this world. And that's exactly what's being, that's exactly what's being brought out here. Notice again, uh, verse 5, And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire off the altar and cast it to the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And, there, and the seven angels, which had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. Now, if the, if the silence was anticipatory of the judgments, and now we see that the, uh, that, that, that the giving of the trumpets is now preparatory to the judgments, what we see now are the actual judgments being enacted upon the earth. And the judgments in this chapter come by way of four trumpet sounds. Now, it is kind of interesting that, I don't know if you remember this, that when we looked at the seals, <clears throat> one of the things that we said is that there seems to be an internal breakdown or an internal division within both the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls to where they, they break down into groups, one group of four and one group of three. Again, with the seals, it was the, it was the four horsemen of the apocalypse and, and then the, the souls of them that were under the altar and then the great woes and the, or, or, or the great uh, uh, the desire uh, to, to escape the judgment of God there with that sixth uh, that sixth seal now when the seventh when these seven trumpets now uh, come forward they come forward in that same division four and three and the first four we might say affect the created order it affects the earth, it affects the sea, it affects the river, and it affects the sun or the, or, or, or the sun and the stars. And so we're going to see here, as I said before, that these things are all specific judgments. And what's interesting is that these judgments, in, 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 in a significant way, not exactly, but in a significant way, parallel the judgments that were seen in Egypt during the, the time of the Exodus. And in that regard, I want you to kind of think back to what I had said earlier that by way of prayers ascending, we think back on the people of, of Israel when their prayers went up before God. And when God again said, enough is enough, now it is time to act. And I want you to see, I want you to understand, as I said before, prayer ascending has God acting on behalf of his people. 
Well, let's take a look then at the first of these uh, at the first of these seals, and we see that here in uh, in, in verse uh, in, in verse seven. And the first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth. And the third part of the trees were burnt up, and all the green grass was burnt up. As I said before, this first this first trumpet judgment uh, affects primarily uh, pri primar uh, primarily the earth. Uh, that the earth is, uh, again, is affected very much by this. Now, again, this won't surprise you. Forgive me for bogging down in some of these details. It won't surprise you. There are many approaches to how we understand what's being described here. I do understand these as having as having a, a kind of fulfillment in reality, if I can say it that way. I do think that we are going to see by way of the, the judgment of God upon the earth and the bringing in of the kingdom of God, we are going to see these kind of disturbances in the created order. Others see it by way of this, just the significant men, mighty powers being affected, again, by way of the judgment of God. That may happen as well. Let me even say this. I find it very interesting that at least when we, when we read through our Lord's teaching in Matthew 24 and when we, when we look at human history, so oftentimes you will find that great, that great changes in the social order are oftentimes attended by great, by, by great unexpected things in the created order as well. You could read back in history where we see some of these some of these ideas coming together. Uh, you know, great political disturbances, and and around the same time, great uh, great natural disturbances as well. But as I see these things, I do believe that these are again truly referring to things that actually will be seen. Now, again, as I said before, this is uh, this kind of has uh, reference uh, to the plagues that were in Egypt as well. Um, there, again, we saw the same thing, the judgment of God affecting the land. The next judgment that we see here is in verse 8. And the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and a third part of the sea became blood. Again, notice how that John is using descriptive language here. It is, it, it is by, way of, um, uh, by, by way of specifics, it's, it's, it's symbolic. John doesn't say that a mountain was cast. He says, he says something as it were a mountain was cast into the sea. And again, this had a great effect upon the sea itself. So much so, again, that a third of the life in the sea was destroyed. A third of the ships uh, were, were, were destroyed as well. And so again, these great changes, these great judgments that are coming upon humanity. Verse 9, I'm sorry, verse 10. And the third angel sounded and there fell a great star from heaven burning as it were a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of the waters. Here we have now not just the sea being affected, but now we have fresh water being affected as well. And again, all these things, we can see similarities with the judgments upon, uh, upon uh, Egypt. And then um, we have here, lastly, verse 12. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and a third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars. And so the third part of them was darkened, and the, sun, and the day shone not for a third part of it. And, and the night likewise. Now again, a lot of these things, they, they, they press us, they stretch us. We don't know how that would happen. We don't know how a third of the sun would not give its light. We can only imagine what the physical effects of that would be. Uh, again, there would certainly be uh, repercussions from that. But the point that I want you to see through this all, although I do believe that in the fulfillment of these, these things, we will see these things. Others, good, you know, good individuals would see it different. Again, I see it. I, I see it with a with an element of literal literalness that I'm not willing to move away from. Um, but when all is said and done, what's happening? 
Great judgments are coming upon the earth. And these judgments are coming upon the earth. Are you ready for this? These judgments are coming upon the earth because the people of God prayed. Now, do we pray in our day that God would judge every sinner that we come in contact with? I don't think that this is the time to pray like that. We do look in the scriptures and we have this thing called the, the uh, prayers of imprecation where there is praying against the enemies of God. And I do think that there is a sense in which we can make application of prayers of imprecation even in our day as well. Now hear me out. I have to be careful how I say this. There is a space, there is a time, uh, there is a place for prayers to be prayed against the enemies of the church of Jesus Christ and, and against the enemies of God. And again, we have to proceed very carefully here. This is a day of grace. God's will is that all should be saved. Again, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. And even though I, I'm a Calvinist and I have a Calvinist understanding of that passage of Scripture, I want you to hear that passage of Scripture. I really do. And so again, we, we pray for the salvation of all men. What is it? First uh, Timothy chapter 2, uh, verses 1 and following. God would have all men to be saved. And whether we see that as classes of men or individual men, I just want you to see that there is this, there is this desire in the part of God for salvation. That's the day that we live in now. I'll go back to what I said about the end of the book of Revelation, uh, in Revelation 22. That's why at the end of Revelation 22, what we hear is that, the, is, the, is that the spirit and the bride say to the world at large, come, let him who is a thirst come and take of the water of life freely. And as I came across that passage of scripture in this past week, I thought to myself, it was very clumsy of me not to apply that passage of scripture in every sermon that we preach in the book of Revelation. Because when Revelation comes to a close, that's what the church says. That's what the spirit says. And we should be saying the same thing as well. But how does, this, how does this square up then against these prayers of imprecation? Well, prayer of imprecation is to pray against those who oppose the things of God and the people of God, those who have set themselves against God. We read of these individuals in, in, in Psalm 2, do we not? How that the nations have set themselves against God. Psalm 46 brought out the same thing. We see again by way of the entire life of our Lord Jesus Christ how there was this opposition to our Lord Jesus Christ. We even read in a way that we cannot fathom. In this book of Revelation, there are those who persist in their rebellion against God. It, 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 it baffles us. Again, what next week what we're going to see in, in, in chapter 9, verse uh, 21, our controlling passage is going to be verse 21 of chapter 9. Neither repent the day of their murders, nor their sorceries, nor their fornications, nor their thefts. God brings judgment upon them, and none of that breaks them off of their sin. This is how, this is, this is how, this is how tenacious uh, sin is as a principle, and how blind men are in holding on to it. And so when these men conspire against the church of Jesus Christ, when these men, when these individuals try to undermine the very moral order that God has established, and we live in that day, don't we? We live in a day where the moral order of God is, is purposely being sought to be overturned. We've said it for how many times? Again, if we, those of you, uh, this may be a little bit after my time, but those of you that, that are old enough, you remember, I hope there was back, back in the day, preaching against uh, the whole concept of two individuals uh, living together outside of the bonds of marriage. You remember the old phrase, living in sin. It ought to have been preached against. And preaching against the, the, the whole idea in our day of, uh, of homosexuality and the rise of it and the acceptance of it. It ought to be preached against. And now again in our day, the, 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 the whole matter of transgenderism, it must be preached against what? It, it's, it's overturning the, the, the order that God established and created. So how do we do this? 
is a very challenging thing, isn't it? But we pray again for salvation. We pray again that God would change hearts. We pray again that the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, let me say this. This is going to be very interesting to you. Do you remember when we looked at uh, Revelation uh, uh, chapter 6, uh, uh, verses uh, 1 and following, and again, the four horsemen of the apocalypse? And, and you remember I said that there was a presentation of the first horseman in the book of, of, of Revelation, that, uh, that, that horseman who rides on a white horse going forth to con uh, conquering and the conquer. And you remember how I said that I believe, again, that's a reference to Antichrist. But you also remember how that I said that there are many, again, good men who say that that's a reference to Jesus Christ conquering through the gospel. And let me say this. Well, I don't believe that that's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. I do believe that Jesus Christ conquers the hearts of men and women through the gospel. I'm convinced of it. He breaks us off our sin. He causes us to see, again, the beauty of grace and the wonder of his holiness. And he draws us to himself. And our enemies are conquered. You remember what I said, I think this was just a few weeks ago. When you came to faith in Christ, you won a great victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Every one of these ones you won a victory over. And God, through you, worked. He changed your heart. Oh, we pray that God would change the hearts of individuals that would work against the established order of God. Also, we pray, again, that God would, that God would thwart their purposes and thwart their plans. Oh, that God would not give success to evil purposes and evil plans. You know how much this, 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 this discourages us and how much this hurts us? I was talking to someone just recently, a few weeks ago, and we were talking about some of these, some of these issues, not just some of these larger issues. And I was saying to the individual, you know, right now, these, these, these enemies of the gospel, they seem as though they have the wind, the wind behind their back. Their sails are fully open. They can go anywhere they want, it seems like. Oh, that God would thwart. That God would stop. You see, we're not asking for their personal destruction. We're certainly not asking for their eternal destruction. But we are asking, again, that all of their plans would become foolishness. That their plans would come to nothing. And so, again, there is a way to pray in our day. That as these prayers ascend to God, and as God sends down his judgments, oh, until that time that he sends down his judgments, what do we do? We implore and we plead. Why will you die in your sins? This God, again, who is a God of awesome holiness, is a God of unfathomable love, and he'll save you from your sins. But how can it be in Revelation 9, 21, neither repent the day of their murders, nor their sorceries, nor their fornication, nor their thefts? Unbelievable. And so there is a way to pray. And so I want you to see and understand that, again, your prayers have, have great effect. Until the time when God pours out these trumpet uh, judgments, until that time we pray for the salvation of all that we come in contact with. One more thing I want you to see here in this passage of scripture in verse 13. And I beheld and, I beheld and heard uh, an angel flying through the midst of the heavens, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe unto the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the voices of the other trumpets of the three angels which are yet to sound. If the, if the sixth seal judgment was bad enough to cause unregenerate men and women to cry out to the mountains to fall on them, if the first four judgments were bad enough to consume and to destroy one-third of a part of the earth, what will these next three judgments be when we hear, whoa, whoa, whoa? Well, you need to understand, and I need to understand, that the proclamation of woe against sinners is still part of the preaching of the gospel. 
And in a very real way, the gospel cannot be preached unless it is accompanied by the reality of God's wrath against sin and the woeful condition of all those who would persist in that sin. But we're not aiming for that, are we? So when we, what we're aiming for, again, is conversion. And so when we come to the end of this passage of Scripture and we try to apply this passage of Scripture and we try to understand its symbolism and we try to understand the chronology and we try to understand the theology of it, what do we do? Do we leave here scratching our heads and say, well, you know, I think for this reason, it's that we understand it this way. You don't know what you're talking about. And again, my arguments are better than your argument, this and that. I'll gladly have those discussions with you. I kind of like those discussions. But when, it's, <laughs> but when it's all said and done, listen, you need to understand your prayers have value and effect. Your prayers which ascend to heaven have, have, have impact on earth. And if that's the case, should we not be a praying people? If that's the case, should we not be before God imploring God's mercy upon this world, asking that his kingdom come, that his will be done, seeking that God again would bring again righteous judgment to those who have been, a, who, who have been a martyred for the cause of Christ. And so when we come to, to apply this passage of scripture, it leads us to prayer. But let me say this, it leads us to one more thing. Take your Bibles now and go to Revelation 22. I've referenced it three or four times here already. Every message, every sermon in the book of Revelation should close exactly where the book of Revelation closes. Notice what we have here in Revelation chapter 22, verses 17 through the end. And the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him that heareth say, come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Again, this is how we close out our sermons on the book of Revelation. We make this great appeal. But notice again uh, in, in verses 20 and, and 21, or in verse 20, uh, He which testifies these things saith, Surely I come quickly, even so come Lord Jesus. So when we close out, when we apply these sermons in the book of Revelation, we continue to, yes, we continue to pray, specifically chapter 8. We continue to preach the gospel, specific to the whole book. And we have, we have ingrained or we have, in, we have enshrined within our thinking a longing and a desire for Jesus Christ to return and set up his kingdom on this earth. Do you understand why, why hell itself and the enemies of God tremble at this kind of thing? Do you think they want to see Christ enthroned? Psalm 2, the heathens rage and the nations imagine a vain thing. And they work against the purposes of God. But God's purposes in Christ shall be fulfilled. Why? Because who can stay the hand of the great executor of the will of God, Jesus Christ? None can. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, give us grace, we pray, to use this passage of Scripture in a way that will honor you. We ask and we pray, Lord God, that we would not foolishly just pray thunderbolts upon all of those who we disagree with or who we don't like, but help us instead, Father, to go before them with the compassion of Christ within our hearts and set before them the great and glorious gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, give them grace and give them space to repent. May it not be said of them of that which it is said there in that ninth chapter, in that 21st verse, that they refuse to repent. So grant the grace of repentance. Grant the grace and the gift of faith. Expand your kingdom on this world. And may your name be exalted and glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.